Hi, everybody. Before we get into this episode, I had to let you know, like I'm literally bursting at the seams, that on March 13th, Scouts Agency is launching something major. We have been working on this for months, all with the intention to serve your business expansion and catapult your brand awareness. Now, If you want to have first access at our early bird pricing plus access to bonuses, sign up on our waitlist at scoutsagency.com slash waitlist. There will be limited spots available, so if you've been ready to go from the plateaued business owner to the visible visionary, you're going to want first access. Again, that's scoutsagency.com slash waitlist. S-C-O-U-T-S-A-G-E-N-C-Y dot com slash waitlist to sign up for first access. I'm bursting at the seams and I know I have to keep this a secret for just a couple weeks longer, so cannot wait. Okay, let's get into the episode. Scout Sobel, founder and CEO of Scouts Agency, a female-focused PR agency that specializes in the medium of podcasting. I also live with bipolar disorder. From being a college dropout to a business owner, I have garnered up the healing tools from living with a mental illness to build my entrepreneurial life. Welcome to my podcast, where I ramble about mental health tips, entrepreneurial strategies, and mindset shifts so that you can live your life of purpose. I am the emotional entrepreneur. And thank you for being here. Let's get into the episode, shall we? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Scout Podcast. If you're wondering why this episode is dropping on a Saturday, when usually I drop episodes on Tuesday and Thursday, it's because today is May 1st, which is the start of Mental Health Awareness Month, and I thought that it would be quite fitting slash quite unfitting if I didn't record an episode and release it for the beginning of this month. So I, yeah, I wanted to kind of get in and celebrate and kickstart this this month off. I know that we, um, I have my Mental Health May Challenge going on. Today is the first day. You should have received your first email if you signed up. And if not, you can go to the link in the show notes to sign up. But I just want to reflect real quick before we get into this episode is that when I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder nine years ago, Mental Health Awareness Month, these initiatives, these content initiatives weren't around. I was just interviewed for a podcast that's coming out in a week for Mental Health Awareness Month. She created a whole month dedicated to it. All the content is specifically towards mental health And it warmed my heart so significantly and made me feel so hopeful for those who are struggling with their mental health because there is a community around mental health now. There are initiatives and content and groups and challenges like my own that now exist that didn't when I was first diagnosed or really rummaging through the depths of depression and psychosis and depression and anxiety and catatonia, suicidal ideation, I felt so alone. And I think that part of the major beauty of social media and podcasts and the way we consume content now is that things like mental health get to be illuminated. They get to be talked about and shared and community gets to be created, which is 
something I've built with all of you that I find so special and rare and unique. And so I am just so grateful that I get to be, I get to, you know, release a bonus episode because there's a whole month around mental health, which I'm sure existed nine years ago, but now it exists in mainstream media, in the forefront of our feeds, on our podcast app, on Instagram, and it's such a beautiful celebration. And I, it's just crazy what can happen in such a short time, you know, in just under a decade, how quickly the conversation can shift, how quickly the conversation can come to the forefront. And so I hope today, if you are struggling with your mental health, whether you are diagnosed with a mental illness or just identify as a human being living and experiencing this insane journey that we are so grateful to be on. I hope that you know that just initiatives like this and content like this and people coming together this month on social media for mental health is so beautiful and that there are so many resources and communities around for you to be involved in so that you don't feel alone, including my own, which I am so happy that you are a part of. So for today's bonus episode, I know I spoke on the last one that this was going to be next week's, but then I decided to do it today. I did an uh, ask me anything question on my Instagram stories. And so today I'm going to be answering your mental health and entrepreneurship questions, which I've never done this on Scout Podcast before. And I'm really excited because I think it's going to give a little bit of fresh opinions, different topics that maybe I haven't touched upon. And these are areas that you want to hear about, which is always at the forefront of my mind. How can I best serve, inspire, deliver all of the things? So I think this is going to be a very specific way that I get to do so. So shall we begin? I guess we shall. Okay, so how do I leave my work at home and not bring it with me? This took me a very long time to learn, especially since, you know, I don't know um, if you are the owner of the business or the boss um, in some capacity. We all are. Uh, but as an entrepreneur and someone who runs Scouts Agency and OKSIS podcast and this podcast, um, there's a lot of times where I feel as if the work doesn't end. And that's kind of because it doesn't. There is always a part of my brain that will be online to a certain extent. I remember when I was just starting to re-enter the world um, after dropping out of college and going through outpatient and really being at a place where I couldn't function due to my mental health, I finally was able to hold a job as a barista. And I remember that feeling of clocking out, how I could leave everything there. I could walk out and my life did not any, or like my mental capacity was not painted with work whatsoever. And that liberating feeling of stepping outside, clocking out and being free from work and able to so swiftly turn it off due to the nature of the work, which wasn't on email, wasn't on text message, wasn't on the internet, was physically in the restaurant. I had that that beautiful moment of clocking off, clocking out, you know, but I also want to preface that I've also now that I know what that feels like, I've worked super, super hard to never have to feel that way again. I never want to clock out and feel this sense of relief and fulfillment and happiness that I'm off the clock. While I believe in separation of work and personal life, my goal in building my agency and my podcast out and then, you know, my book coming out this year was that so I never have to wait to clock out and that when I clock out, I feel 
relief and so happy that I can leave work there and not take it home with me, if that makes sense. So I think before I answer your question, I just want to point out how lucky, how lucky you are potentially, if you love what you do, that you're having a hard time not taking work home with you because maybe work is really, really exciting and all encompassing. And there are areas that you get to grow and play and be creative and you know, further your career and, and what you really would like to be doing with your life. And so just taking a brief pause and, and being grateful that that maybe I don't know in your case, I'm just speaking from my experience that in those moments where I take work home for me, it's because I love what I do so much. That doesn't always feel, that doesn't always mean that when I take work home with me that it feels good. I could be taking it home with me because I am anxious and waiting for a client to respond or shit didn't go well that day or my to-do list is never ending and I and I can't seem to get ahead of my emails, etc. But even in that discomfort, I'm able to realize that I'm so fortunate to be doing what I'm doing. However, there are certain tricks that I do do. The number one thing I believe for leaving work at work and coming home and being present is to put your phone away. The stimulation of even text messages, emails, Instagram, it invites you into potential work scenarios that do not have to happen after 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And even if it, you see an email and you don't ignite and you don't jump into it, your brain is turning and thinking about it and won't really rest until it's resolved, which is the email back or sending whatever they're asking, et cetera. So ways that I think are so important to not take work home is to put your phone away at a certain time. That doesn't mean it has to be away from five until you go to bed, but spending, you know, an hour a night without your phone. Maybe it's cooking. I always like to transition my day, my work day to, you know, my evening by putting on a podcast, putting my phone, you know, putting my phone over so I don't see the notifications and cooking. It gets me out of a screen. It gets me out of my notifications and it gets me moving with my hands and making something, something that's nourishing and soulful and allows me to slow down and be mindful. So is there a practice that you can do between work and relaxing time that can ease that transition that doesn't include looking at your phone or a screen. I think that's super, super key. And then once you've done that, if you're still anxious about work, I think it's a problem, not a problem, a situation of can you get still and know that you're okay if you're still and safe and disconnected? What part of you feels as if you cannot disconnect? What, what are you afraid of if you disconnect? And really, really look at that and start re-patterning your belief system to know that you are safe if you take time off work. You are safe if you don't answer that email immediately. In a world that is so, so obsessed with immediate responses, you get to hold boundaries over your relaxing time. And that doesn't mean that if there's an emergency at work or like, you know, a big project and you're really passionate about career that you won't be there. But you deserve to set boundaries over your life. You deserve when you're relaxing to be in relaxation mode. And something I talk a lot about um, is intentional rest. So when you're not at work, what are the activities that you're doing? Are you scrolling on Instagram? 
Or are you putting your phone away and reading a really good book or cooking a meal and eating it outside or taking a bath or meditating or a yoga class? I would really fill your time with more intentional rest versus passive numbing rest, which is kind of scrolling on Instagram, scrolling on TikTok, because that actually doesn't allow your mind to calm down a little bit. It keeps it in that hyperactive mode. So I hope that helped. And I feel like we are going to have a hard time getting through these. So we might have to do a part two on Tuesday. Okay, next question. What advice would you give your 21-year-old self? This one, you know, I look back at my 21-year-old self and I send her so much love because she was hurting so significantly. She had just been, you know, released from inpatient, from a hospitalization. She had quit her job, moved to Los Angeles, but she also started dating her husband then boyfriend. So, I would tell 21-year-old Scout, who was riddled with anxiety, panic attacks left and right, intense, intense depression. She was a year, you know, at that point, I'll start referring to myself in the third person. Sorry, it sounded good for like a sentence and then it got annoying. Um, I, at that point, had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder for a year. And so I was just lost and scared. I think the biggest advice that I would give her is that is that you are capable of handling your emotions. You can navigate, move through them, survive them, manage them, and actually flourish because of them. I think I would sit her down and say, I know this feels heavy and chaotic and intense, but I promise you if you keep your eye on the prize, you can actually make space for these emotions and you can actually learn from them. I would ask her to do a little bit more digging into why she's feeling the way that she's feeling. But overall, I think the advice would be to believe and have confidence that she can hold herself, that she as an autonomous woman is a warrior. And I think I would like to, I would have liked to infuse, I would like to infuse a little bit more confidence and strength into 21 year old Scout. Okay, next. What is your journey and relationship with social media looked like? That is a very interesting question. I, you know, I do not have such a toxic relationship with social media. I know a lot of people do. I personally love social media, um, specifically Instagram, I should say. I shouldn't say I love social media in general. I love Instagram. I think when it comes to social media, it's all about finding where you're best at and what you want to utilize it for. So for me, social media has always been a way to connect and express. It has never been a tool that I've used, quote unquote, as a personal situation where I don't think of it as necessarily a cohesive brand. Instagram for me has always been fun to play in aesthetically, and I've always been really drawn to taking beautiful photos and writing beautiful captions. Um, So in that sense, I've really thrived in Instagram and I love it so much. I don't have such a problem with comparing myself to other women on the internet. That doesn't mean that that doesn't happen ever, but that when it does happen, um, it's, it's not that often. And I catch myself quite quickly and shift back into love. So my relationship with social media is that it, you know, yes, do I feel as if I have a self that is here in the physical world and then I have a self that exists digitally 100%. Have I integrated those two selves to an extent? Do I feel as if they're each different? Kind of. You know, I think 
one has, you know, the more physical self has obviously, obviously, a lot more complexities and intricacies and um, emotional nuances where the version that I put of myself on the internet is very vulnerable and raw, as you guys have seen, but a lot of it is kind of in reflection. So it's not present. It's, okay, I went through this and this is how I feel or um, I'm processing this and this is what I think I'm going to do. So in that sense, social media for me has been an extremely amazing way to, you know, first I live my life and then I got to curate the message that I received from that life experience and put it into a beautifully packaged, beautifully packaged grid. And when I say beautifully packaged, I don't mean necessarily highlight reel or edited or facade. I mean beautifully real, just aesthetically pretty, if that makes sense. So I have had a very, very beautiful relationship to social media. At times, do I feel the exhaustive quality of it, that it is a content machine that is ever, ever going? A hundred percent. Although, you know, I'm sure other people feel that pressure so much more when it comes to social media, such as, you know, influencers on Instagram. I can relate to that on the podcast side, although I'm not entirely sure podcasting is considered a social media platform. It's more of a content creation medium. So, I have a beautiful relationship with social media. I am very, very um, diligent about curating my feed. I am not afraid to mute, block, or unfollow people. I think people often misunderstand that just because a profile is private means that you know anyone can come into your space. That's just not true. So if you are someone who has a toxic relationship to social media, I would identify the areas that it's making you insecure and really commit to healing those parts of yourself. But while you're committing to healing those parts of yourself, unfollowing the accounts that trigger that in you so that you can give yourself space to really sit with you and heal. You know, when I gained weight after going off birth control and my medication, following girls in bikinis wasn't it for me. Like now I can do that and it doesn't phase me at all because I've progressed on my body love journey. But I'm very, very very specific about the way I curate my feed. And I think that with that, I'd be able to create, I've been able to create a community that I really love and respect and admire and am inspired by. So when I go into the Instagram app, while yes, the stimulation of the notifications and the DMs and the comments and the likes can be a lot. And of course, sometimes I'm like, why didn't that picture get a lot of likes? I would say overall, I do have a very healthy relationship to Instagram because I don't mesh my worth or value in it. And I also have a lot of fun with the strategy side of things. Instagram to me feels like creative business. It brings that creativity, the writing, the photos, the aesthetics with the business strategy. So sometimes I find that it's really fun. It's really fun. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Book recommendations. Okay, here we go. I have been a reader my whole life and I used to only read fiction. I was like a huge literary snob. I studied British literature from, I don't know, the 1800s, 1700s in college. That was literally ended up being, I think, my major. Unsure. Didn't graduate. Don't remember. But let's start with spiritual books because that's really been my super big jam. If you are new to spirituality, I highly suggest Gabby Bernstein books. So I started with Spirit Junkie. I love The Universe Has Your Back. It is beautiful. Her spiritual teachings are approachable, modern, easy to digest, but very, very profound. 
Um, I also really highly recommend anything Wayne Dyer writes. Truly, truly anything Wayne Dyer writes. Uh, He has changed my life in more ways than one with his books. The way he writes about spirituality and, and the human existence here on planet is has a has obviously has spirituality but isn't so far out there that you're not following or that you can't really really resonate with it so he is a master teacher truly truly so anything Wayne Dyer I believe is the way to go if you are already super deep into the spiritual game and are down for woo-woo shit like the spirit world and reincarnation and all that stuff, I would check out Spirit Hacking by Shaman Durek. Some of the stuff was even wild for me, but I just soaked it up. It was so, so, so good. So I would say those are, um, oh, Meet Your Soul by Alyssa Romeo is incredible. And The How to Inner Peace is also so, so, so good. That book really breaks down, you know, all the spiritual tools that you talk about, but it's kind of like, how do you get there? You know what I mean? The how to inner peace really, really breaks it down. So those are definitely my favorite spiritual text. When it comes to nonfiction, more business books, I'm a huge fan of Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. I basically transformed the way we talk about and communicate Scouts Agency, not only in sales calls, but as a digital front on Instagram when we implemented his messaging tips and tricks, people were coming to us to work with us. They were filling out our discovery intake form and we got, you know, inquiries all the time. So building a story brand by Donald Miller changed my life. B by Jessica Zweig is the Bible for personal brands. It is just gold, absolute gold. It completely transformed my entire year. I changed my whole strategy based off that book. So B by Jessica Zweig is absolutely incredible. As far as self-help books go, I love Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis, You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero, Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which isn't so much self-help, but just absolute freaking beauty, Uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. That's also a really, really, really amazing one. And then when it comes to fiction, I love anything Haruki Murakami. He is my favorite author. He is a Japanese author and is just ridiculously exquisite and poignant and lyrical with his prose. I so highly recommend. And I also really, really enjoy Vladimir Nabokov, Lolita. His book Lolita is one of my favorites or The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. Anything by Lydia Davis, Allen Ginsberg. Yeah, I think that that wraps it up right there. Those are some of my favorite books. I'm such a reader and I have been finding myself reading a lot more nonfiction. However, I because I think I'm a little bit more critical when it comes to fiction. I really have to be pulled in in a certain way. So those I would say are some of my favorites. Okay, the next question, and then I'm going to save um, some of the other ones and we can do a part two on Tuesday, is how to manage having anxiety around keeping existing clients on slash getting new ones. Okay, this has been the biggest fucking journey for me in the last two years of launching and managing and growing and running Scouts Agency, which by the way, I was writing in my journal this morning as I do every single morning, and I was having this moment of, holy fuck, I've only been doing Scouts Agency for two years. I've been doing OKSIS for two and a half. How 
I was just thinking about how drastically my life has changed within those two years of going after the podcast and the agency with such a determination. It has completely transformed my life, my network, my emotional landscape, my financial landscape, like beyond. And so I just want to point out the power of what two years can do. And I was thinking I was kind of like time tripping. I said, If this is how much change and expansion and up-leveling I've gone through in two and a half years, imagine what's going to happen by the end of the year. Imagine what's going to happen in another year, in two years, in five years. I just got this beautiful, beautiful vision of, whoa, we can do a lot in a short amount of time and we can change and up-level and grow and evolve in so many ways if we just show up. So, That's what Scouts Agency was for me, just showing up. And when it came to clients and managing the anxiety of keeping them on and letting, you know, having some leave and some come in and that whole flow took a really, really long time for me to understand. So in the beginning, I'll kind of walk you through the trajectory so I can show you the emotional patterns as well as the systems I put in place to manage this anxiety. In the beginning, all of my clients were on month-to-month contracts because I did not come from the PR space. I did not come from an agency space. I had no fucking clue what I was doing, guys. And so I thought that if a client wanted or was going to work with me, that they would only work with me if they were on a month-to-month retainer since it was it was less of a commitment for them. It was easier for them to get in the door and I just needed clients. I needed to gain some experience and I needed to gain some results. So for the first six to seven, six to, I would say seven to nine months, my business was entirely month to month. And for the first five months, that was going great. That was going super well. I had a steady flow of income. I had fluctuations of clients, but nothing super drastic. I was also living in a fear-based mindset where the retainers were super low and I made them that way. One, so that the point of entry to work with me was low so that I could get just people in my business. And two, I was afraid that if I had higher retainers, and less clients, if one would leave, that a significant portion of my income would go down the drain and that would be too much for me to handle. So, you know, two years ago to a year and a half ago, I was still playing in this small kind of fear scarcity based mindset. But in the month to month, um, I talk about this a lot. I talked about it on the latest OK Sis podcast episode too. Uh, you know, by month seven, four of my clients didn't renew their month to month contract and I lost so much revenue overnight. But not only that, I had just hired an employee and signed an office. And so it taught me very, very quickly the importance and the value of having at least three month contracts. So our retainers at Scouts Agency start at three months and they go to six months um, and beyond if one wants to commit to a longer time frame. But in in that commitment, I'm able to predict a little bit more. I'm able to see, okay, um, you know, this is my revenue this month, next month, and the month after. This person's contract ends, you know, by month this, which means that I have to introduce a new one here, and I have that lead time to re reintroduce a client into the space. Now, even with that, you know if that makes you nervous or et cetera, there is a certain amount. I suppose I should say there is, for you to do your job super well with clients, in most industries, a month 
is not enough. Even three months sometimes isn't enough. So I would really stand in your power that you can best serve people if it's three to six months. And on top of that, I do have a clause in my contract that says that it's either basically you give me 30 day notice if you want to break the contract or you pay me your monthly retainer to end the contract here or there. That gives me financial security as well as planning security too. So don't be afraid to put a clause like that into your contract. It's very standard. It shows you're professional and it shows that you really, really stand your ground with the boundaries that you have around your work. Now, even with three to six month contracts, we did have a little bit of an ebb and flow with COVID. Things were so up in the air and some of my clients unfortunately lost some of their businesses. And so I let a lot of people off their contracts, you know, of course, no questions asked due to the circumstances. So I think the question here is, okay, we can put systems in place, three to six month contracts with a cancellation clause in the contract so that you can have some sense of revenue projection and security as you go into months, some sense of prediction. So you know, do I need to hire team members, etc.? Do I need to expand? What's my workload going to be like next month on and on? However, we really do need to get comfortable with this notion as entrepreneurs that ebbs and flows of business revenue is what it is. You know, nothing is really guaranteed in our business. Our salary isn't fixed. And we do take on the brunt of that ebbs and flows. And that's a really, really tough place to be in. It is quite anxiety inducing. So if you can put the system into place with three to six month contracts and really keep an eye on when those contracts are up so that you can always be replenishing the roster, doing more sales calls, or I always have a conversation with my clients a month before their contract ends to see if they want to renew. That way I know if I need to bring on somebody else within that month, just giving myself that lead time. But, you know, uncertainty in business, there's this idea that businesses grow and grow and grow, right? And that's not necessarily the trajectory. Some months are low and some months are super high and sometimes it's not this straight arrow up. Last year, our agency did so well and I just looked at our books this year and um, ending April 2021, we're in a better place this year than we were ending April 2020 as far as the revenue of the year goes. However, this January and February, our roster dwindled so low and we hit something and that's that's just the ebb and flow of business. That's just something that comes along with the game. And so in those moments, if you can really connect to why you do this and accepting the price the price or the ticket of being the entrepreneur and of running the ship and knowing that when things ebb and flow, you get to ride those waves as the leader. I think that will help you on a mindset level really, really understand that one, these moments are going to come. So expecting them at one point or another and that when they do come, you get to figure out, not figure out, but remind yourself why you do what you do. Uh, the fluctuation of clients' works is something that I think we will be, I will be working on emotionally for a very, very long time, potentially for as long as I have client work. But with systems in place, such as contracts with clauses that talk about canceling the contract to give you a little bit of that security, you can have a little bit more revenue projection and workload projection so that you can manage all of that better. But in times of uncertainty, no business is exempt from that. And it's part of the beautiful initiation of entrepreneurship. And so when those moments happen, well, yes, they're stressful and financial scarcity kind of kicks in, which I always 
attempt to go more towards the financial abundant mindset, not more towards I try to live there. Um, we get to be grateful that we're doing what we're doing, that we have clients, that we run our own thing, whatever it might be. So always in those moments of turmoil, remember to thank, give gratitude for the fact that you're even in this position um, because that means you run a business and that's pretty rad. So I hope this was awesome. I'm going to do part two for Tuesday uh, because there's a few more questions I really do want to get to. Thank you so much for submitting these questions if you did. And if you signed up for the Mental Health May Challenge, I hope you loved your first email. Again, if you want to hop on board, the link is in the show notes to sign up. And uh, follow me along on Instagram at Scout Sobel. I am so excited for us all to really, really sit with our mental health this month, prioritize it, be inspired by it, have conversations around it. You know this is what lights me up, and I'm just so happy that you're here getting lit up by it too. So I love you and have a beautiful day.